0: This week we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 21 verses 9 through 27. One of the errors that I think gets made anytime people start looking into into Revelation is uh, our desperate um, desire to know what happens next. And so people come to Revelation and they ask questions like, well, you know, what's next in the timeline of world events? Is Jesus coming now or next week? Or has anybody got a prediction out right now? I haven't heard anything in a while. But we have, you know, people will spring up every now and then and they got some kind of prediction about, you know, when Jesus is going to come back. We treat Revelation like it's a crystal ball. Um, We treat Revelation like it's going to open up uh, some sort of window into the mind of God that will let us know uh, what he's going to do next. And just that's just bad. Just bad. Bad. Say it with me. Bad. Right? That is not what revelation is. Revelation is mostly a story. Isn't it interesting because when we come to Jesus a lot of times what we do is we look for lists of do's and don'ts. Like what am I supposed to do? What am I not supposed to do? But what is most of the gospels in reference to Jesus? Stories, aren't they? Stories. Are you knitting? Crocheting. Wow. Sorry, I didn't mean to shame you. That was that's that's okay. I was just like looked over and you were going at it. I hope it's for me. A hat? Of course. All right. Then it's okay. Continue. Um stories, right. Stories. So, what what's so interesting to me about revelation is that and, and even the stories of Jesus is that stories are so important. They're so much more important than rules. See, I can sit down with Emery and I can tell her, listen, don't do this. Don't touch the stove, it's hot. And she will ignore me, right? Or I can tell her, I put my hand on the stove and I got third degree burns that were blistering and bloody and here's a picture of them. And she will what? Listen to me because she's got a story that attaches to it. We call them cautionary tales, right? These are things that we do. We tell stories because stories shape who we are. And by shaping who who we are, it invokes our creativity, it invokes our imagination, it allows us to think and to act and to feel all at the same time, moving us into the kind of people we ought to be. I think Revelation is the same way. I think every time you open up the book of Revelation, I think every time you open up the Gospels and you read a story, don't just look at the story, don't just look at Revelation for like the do's and the don'ts, but look at it for what it does to you. How does it shape you? How does it form you? I love Revelation uh, 21 as we're gonna I'm gonna read this sort of it's a big chunk, but it functions like a story. And so whatever it is best for you for to, to get your imagination moving and firing, I don't know if that's closing your eyes, I don't know if it's looking up and following along. Whatever it is, allow these words to paint the images described in your mind. You with me? All right, here we go. Then came one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls full of the the seven last plagues, and he spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper. Clear as crystal. It had a great high wall and 12 gates and at the gates 12 angels and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed and on the east three gates and on the north three gates and on the south three gates and on the west three gates and the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were written the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke to me had a tape measure of gold, to measure the city and its walls, the city lies four square its length the same of its width, and as he measured it with this, it was twelve thousand stadia. its length and width and height are equal. He also measured the wall it was one hundred and forty four cubits by human measurement, which is also the angel 's measurement. The wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold, like clear glass the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel the first jasper the second sapphire the third agate the fourth emerald the fifth onyx the sixth carnelian the seventh chrysolite the eighth beryl the ninth topaz the tenth chry- chrysoprase the eleventh jacinth the twelfth amethyst and the 12 gates had 12 pearls each of the gates made with a single pearl and the city of the street of the city was pure gold It the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it. And nor will anyone who has done what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's a tremendous vision. A tremendous vision. I want to point out some things uh, about this. I want to begin by eradicating, hopefully, a, a bad reading of this that has been promulgated in our churches and, and other places, I'm sure, as well. And I don't know if you've heard it or haven't heard it. But, but uh, there are those who will suggest that the kingdom of God, and indeed this even vision of New Jerusalem, is metaphorically speaking of the church. And the argument usually goes something like this. What does the angel say to John? He says, let me show you the bride of the Lamb." And we all know that the bride of Jesus is the church. See, you've already been indoctrinated. I didn't even do it. The church. And so therefore, what do we have here? Well, it must be the church because the church is the bride of the lamb. Except for what? Do we see the church here? No, we don't. This is what we call, and here's, here's, your, here's your fancy thing, so write it down. Uh, this is what we call eisegesis. That is, you take something that you found elsewhere, and you read its meaning into the text. Rather than what is more appropriate, exegesis. And that is, when we take what the text says, and we take out of it what, what it says there. And so what do we have here? In verses in Revelation 21, verses 1 through uh, Eight, we have the description of the people of God all the people of God here are described These wiping away tears from their eyes we talked about it last week go back and hear the sermon if you didn't hear it this week what do we have something completely different a transition utterly in what's happening and what we see here is Jerusalem coming down out of the heavens out of the sky coming from God prepared and adorned and there is no mention here at all of the church being the bride of Christ now, there is a place in Ephesians where it talks about the church being the bride of Christ, and that's a fine metaphor. But when Jesus speaks about his bride, he talks about his bride coming, and he talks about his bride's uh, maids, which is all you all, right? You're all the bridesmaids. And we are waiting for the groom to receive his bride. You see, one of the things that we have done is we have taken ourselves. And we have injected ourselves into the marriage ceremony. How many of you all been to a marriage ceremony? Yes. I'm sorry. I apologize to all of you. Uh, this past weekend, uh, this past weekend, my uh, best man from our wedding came and visited, and I was the best man in his wedding. The, the, those were really those were great. They were great weddings. Wonderful weddings. Do them again in a heartbeat. How weird would it be, though, for, uh, for Adam to have been here and Olivia to then here and Drew, who is uh, preaching the sermon, I'm the best man, I'm standing here, and I just sort of slid a little closer and closer and closer and closer and just got in there, right? I mean, that, that's totally inappropriate. It's totally inappropriate for me to move or to draw attention to myself if while we're walking, while she's walking down the aisle, I'm waving at people or being distracted. I mean, that would be, what is wrong with this guy? You think there's something disturbed more than usual, with this guy. Because the wedding is all about what? It's all about the bride, isn't it? It's all about the bride. It's all about her coming down the aisle, and you're like, wow, she's beautiful, and even if she's not, you pretend like she is. And like everybody in this moment, it's all eyes, because when the groom comes in, does anybody stand up? No one stands up. No one's like, there's the groom. There he is. The bride comes in, and she's, got, she's wearing thousands of dollars. She's bedazzled, right? And you all stare, and that's what we have going on right here. This city that's coming down, and man, is it bedazzled. And you're just in awe of it. And you're so overjoyed because you know that the groom is about to marry this beautiful woman who's coming down the aisle, bedazzled in her $1,000 dress. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it, right? But you do that. And you're, you're just, you're over, I mean, I was standing there, and I was just like so happy, a little bit because Adam was older, and I was like, this is never going to happen for him. But if you knew Adam, that would be funny. Um, it's just, it was an incredible moment, and you're just overjoyed. And what we're supposed to be doing in this moment is seeing Jesus receiving the kingdom. And this is all about Jesus, it's all about God, it's all about his glory, his power, his might, it is all, all, all about God. And so often we forget that because we're so focused on what we receive out of our relationship with God, which is a lot. And we should be glad, we should be overjoyed with resurrection and eternal life and the seal of the Spirit in us, all these wonderful things, I'm not trying to belittle them in any way, but they all pale in comparison to the glory of God. And we've forgotten that forgotten that. Jesus is now about to receive this vision that the holy prophets foretold us, foretold uh, us would come. Micah 4.2 is a good example. Many nations will come and they'll say, come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may, right, who? He, God, right? God will teach us, his ways, that we might walk in his paths. For out of Zion, and Zion, for those of you who are new to church, Zion's sort of the colorful, fancy, poetic term that we have for Jerusalem, especially the new Jerusalem, Jerusalem the, the final Jerusalem. Out of Zion shall go forth law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And so what we've had in Revelation up to this point is we've seen all things that were former and, 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 and detestable and, and covered with sin uh, and have been destroyed and washed away. We have a new earth. We have a new heaven. We have new bodies, right? We're all, we're all set and waiting, and here it is. Here comes the bride, this fantastic moment. Jerusalem has come at last so that the word and law of God can go out across this new earth so that the earth might walk in righteousness, justice, and justice and peace because without walking in the ways of God there is no righteousness there is no justice and there is no peace isn't that what we see is that what we see the prophets say look forward to this day Isaiah 65 also talks about this for behold I create a new heavens and a new earth the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind but be glad and rejoice in that which I create, for behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy, and her people to be gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad with my people. And if you continue to read um, chapter 65, it sort of gives us a long list of all of the things that God is going to remove, and repl- all of the evil things that God will remove from Jerusalem and from the world and replace with wonderful blessings. And so what we have here is really fantastic because what we see in, in, in the Bible then is a wonderful consistency of promise. Sometimes we have this in our mind that you have the Old Testament, and God said, You know what? That's no good anymore. I'm going to do something completely new. I've got a new direction, new religion, new everything. No, the promises that God made to Abraham are going to come true. And the promises he made through the prophets are coming true, and they're coming true in Jesus. And then in Revelation, we, we see this, this glimpse of a final unveiling of what God has been saying all along I will do. I will make a new earth. I will make a new sky. I will heal you of all your diseases. I will set you into eternal life. And I will set up a capital city which you can't even dream of. And from it will go forth peace. And from it will go forth law. And from it will go forth justice and truth and righteousness and beauty. And so that brings us to this moment of recognizing that it is this wonderful promise is coming true and Jesus is going to meet this inheritance, this promise. He is going to be the one from which all of this law comes forward. One of the things that troubles me about modern Christianity, both our music and our books and the things that we are really enamored with, and it seems all so individualistic, so focused on me and what I get out of it. As I said, rather than focusing on Jesus and the glory of God. There's this interesting text, and it's it's a pretty famous one. And I kind of threw it up here, and I know it's that's a lot, um, but it's really familiar to all of you. You you know this one well. It's a well loved piece of scripture talking about who Jesus is and what he did. It's very poetic. Who being in the very nature of God didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took the nature of a servant, being found in human likeness. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so here Paul is retelling in a very poetic and beautiful way what God has done to save us. Good news, right? Good news. But is that the end of the story? Is that the end of the story? No. In fact, that's not even the point of the story. The point of the story is the. I've got a pointer. I as mean, a pointer. Is this, therefore? Therefore, God is going to take him and he is going to exalt him above everything so that at the name of Jesus, on that last um, eschatological time, all knees in heaven, on earth, under the earth, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That all of this stuff that has been going on throughout the history of Scripture, throughout the history of our own lives, is all about bringing the glory to Jesus. Bringing the glory to Jesus. The glory of God. Even our own salvation is meant to bring glory to God. And why? Why? Because Jesus is everything, He's the Son of God. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the propitiation of our sins. He's the light of the world. He's the light of life. He's the eternal one. He's the firstborn of the dead. He is the one in whom all things were created, by whom all things were created, and in whom all things are held together. He is the glory of the living God. And if our eyes are set on anything else, even if it's something good, like our own salvation and God's love for us, if our eyes are set on anything else, they are set to low, they're set too low, and it will eventually affect the way that you understand the grace and glory of God, because brothers and sisters who I love very, very much, it is not about you, it's not about you, it is about the glory of God, and we're missing uh, two uh, brothers in church this morning, and we're missing Eugene, and we're missing Rob, and we're missing them a great deal I was thinking about them uh, this week, and especially this morning as I was coming in, and, and uh, Eugene and Barbara are usually here um, around 7, and Eugene always opens the doors out here, and I had, last week, I had somebody, in, and this week as well, somebody say, hey, you should go open these doors, they're not unlocked, and I was thinking, oh my goodness, yeah, they're not unlocked. And that might be, see, like, the smallest thing in, in the history of the world, who unlocked the church doors, <laughs> right? But it made me stop and think, because I know Eugene unlocked those doors. I know they were here every single Sunday because they loved Jesus. And because they longed to see people come to know him. Because in the end, it wasn't about them. It was about the glory of God. And we do that in small things. I was thinking of Rob, and I was um, preaching a sermon some time ago, and I uh, mentioned uh, Revelation chapter 3, in which... Uh, John is is um, he, he's uh, giving the message that Jesus gave to the angels, to the churches. And at the end of one of these, he says, To the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Which I just think is beautiful imagery. And I said, I asked this question, and, and I was sort of ready for a natural pause. You know, when you're going, you're preaching, and you're, you're being loud. I'm sorry when I do that. Uh, you're being loud and you kind of get to this point and then there's gonna be a natural break right there. So I'm ready for it and I'm like, right, who, what would you do to be, a, uh, to, p- to be a pillar in the temple of the living God and I wait to take a break, le- silence so you can all think about it for a second. And Rob says, as soon as the words are out of my mouth, anything. <laughs> and he wasn't blowing smoke. Our eyes, if they are not set upon the glory of Jesus, are set on something far too low. We do that in big ways, we do that in small ways. We do it in what we do, we do it in what we say. We do it in everything. And here we have this moment where we often get, get stuck as we're reading through the scripture and we stop, oh, he's going to wipe the tears away from my eyes. Oh, he's going to be the God in the midst of us. And oh, there's not going to be anything unclean or vile or evil anymore. And we stop right there and we focus so hard on this that we lose sight that all of this is about Jesus receiving what Jesus is due. All of, us, all of this is about receiving Jesus receiving the kingdom. It's all about the glory of God and that scene and the very vision of the city itself. I want to think about that city for a second. It's incredibly huge. This city, uh, I, I read the actual stadia and cubits, and no one measures in the stadia and cubits, but this is about 1,380 miles across. That's how large this city is. That's a big city. In fact, it's actually if we could take this. Somebody else made this graphic, but and I just ripped it off the internet. But if we take this uh, this thing, we could slide it over to right here it would encompass almost all of Rome. So you're reading this message, this vision that John had, and you are suffering under Roman persecution. And you probably know, because it was common knowledge, how much territory Rome had, because they bragged about it all the time, right? Bragged about how much territory they had, and they had about 12,000 stadia. And you read this message, and all of a sudden, the new Jerusalem, full of beauty and wonder, is going to fall and smack down, just happening to be the same size as the Roman Empire, right? Just boom, right on top of it. It's a beautiful, beautiful city. It's huge. It is not only a hundred and one thousand three hundred eighty miles long uh, and and long and wide. Get it right, but it is also uh, 1,380 miles tall, which means it's taller than the International Space Station, somewhere way up in here. If I'm doing my kilometers to to miles right, which it might not be, but that's how tall this city is. It is massive. What's it made of? Gold, right? Gold. Gorgeous. Imagine that. Gold that's so pure that it's like, it's, it's almost translucent. It's so pure. Like crystal, it's so pure. It's so massive. It's so beautiful. And then the gate around it. What did the gate say? The gate around it is like has encrusted in it all of these gems. In fact, I, the gate itself... Um, this is as 144 cubits high, which is roughly around 20 stories. So if you can imagine a 20-story building and standing in front of it, do you remember what did the, what are the gates? Uh, what were the gates made of? Pearl. How many pearls? One pearl. I feel bad for the oyster that coughed up a 20-story pearl. That's big. Imagine standing in front of a gate and it's a pearl. Like I mean, this thing is. I can't even. I can't even comprehend it. Now, obviously, one of the mistakes that we can make here is like, this is, we don't know how literal this is. Like, we don't know if, I don't know if when the New Jerusalem alights, I'm going to stand in front of a 20-story pearl. It's not like God couldn't do that. Of course he could do that. Um, but we'd miss the point if we get hung up on what all these little things mean. And often when you're reading Revelation from other people, oh, well, this gem means this, and this thing means this, right? It all misses the point. Go back to verse 11. What's the point of the city? Verse 11 Having the glory of God. The point of it is to strike you in the face with how immeasurable, immense, and beautiful. Today, how do you measure how great a city is? Business. Money, right? You know how good a city is because they have more money than everyone else. And that's the way it still works to this day. And so God builds a city and he says, I will show you how great I am. I will show you the, the, the amount of glory I have. I'll build a city out of gold. I'll, I'll, I'll put giant pearls in front of the gates. I'll encrust it with every precious and wonderful and glorious thing that you can think of. And all of that pales in comparison to the glory of God himself. It's supposed to strike us in amazement but there's something about the gate that isn't striking something that's a little little puzzling and i did a little graph here for us if this is the city with 1380 miles tall and this is the gate which is 20 stories that's about the small like The, I mean, the, it's ridiculous. I mean, the size of the gate is just, it's laughable. I mean, we—we we a 20-story gate is a big gate. But compared to like a 1,000-mile high mile city, there are some disproportionate things going on here. You might ask yourself, well, God, like, maybe we should build a city. Maybe we should build a wall that's a little bit, little bit bigger, you know? You're not really hiding anything. But what's a gate for? What's a, what's a wall around a city for? What? Protection, right? What protection does this city need? Doesn't need any protection, does it? No, protection is 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 gone. None of that stuff is necessary anymore. In fact, one of the most striking things, aside from receiving this sort of this. Uh, Here comes the bride motif in the first part where the the lamb, where Jesus comes and he comes into this inheritance, the capital city of the kingdom of God, which God has now brought to fruition, the hope of the prophets, the hunger of the world, that even the trees of the field are waiting to see unveiled this great time. Where God has done all of this, we have this wonderful image, and then we get a sort of description of the beauty of this city, but then after all of that, we get what is missing from the city. We talked about what's in the city, but what's missing from the city, and I I, I want to bring that up. The, The gates never close. You've got this giant pearl, and it's standing wide open. Why? Because there is no reason to fear anymore. So the gate could be this tall or it could be that tall. It doesn't matter because the, 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 the wall could be this tall or that tall. It doesn't matter how tall it is because the gates are wide open and anyone at all could, could walk into it. In fact, it says the kings of the earth, it says that all of the glory of the nations, that all the people who are living in this, in this new earth, this restored earth, they're going to bring their glory into it and display that to the Lamb of God, to display that to God himself. There is no need for a gate. Now... That's, uh, that's good news, isn't it? Because how many of you locked your doors last night? Why'd you lock your doors last night? Yeah, because the world's pretty broken, isn't it? I was laying in bed last night. I was so tired. Um, as I said, Adam came over, uh, and I, I only see him maybe once or twice a year, and so I was up till 5.30, which isn't smart when your kid wakes up at like 7.30. So I was really tired last night, and I'm laying there just waiting for sleep to take me, and I heard a bump. And I was like, what's that? And, and we all do this. Like, I'm not overly paranoid kind of guy. Like, I'm not really that worried about things. But you hear the bump, and don't, does everybody do this? Like, you stop and you listen. And like every single creak in the house, I'm like, is that the cat? Or is that that bump of the monster coming up from the basement to get me? What is that? And you're listening, and all of a sudden, there's so many more noises. Like, I didn't hear any of these noises until I heard that first bump, and now I hear every creak of this whole house. And you, We're afraid. We are so afraid. And what we get out of this message that God builds a kingdom, he builds a new heaven and new earth, he builds a city that's just chalk. It's like gold is like nothing. It, we're, making, we're making walls out of this stuff. He says, there's nothing to fear anymore. This is what we're looking forward to. A time where there is no fear. There are no locks on doors in the kingdom of God. Isn't that good news? But I want to push you a little bit because I think we're here to celebrate Jesus, aren't we? And we're celebrating Jesus, why? Because he died and rose again. Because he took death and he showed it as a sham. So what are you afraid of anyway? So what if the monster eats your face off, right? I mean... The kingdom of God awaits. The kingdom of God awaits. What else do we see missing from the city? There is no temple. No temple. In in, in the Old Testament, as they imagine the city of Jerusalem, especially in Ezekiel, the final chapters of Ezekiel, there's a long description, chapters long description of what the temple's going to look like. But when Jesus comes, there's a new revelation. And then when we see new Jerusalem again, where's the temple? There isn't one. Because Jesus has removed the need for it. Because the temple is all about separation. It says that God is too pure, God is too holy, God is too much, and you are not pure, you are not holy, you are too small to behold his glory. And yet in Jesus Christ, he has removed the temple walls so that when we stand in the kingdom of God and are brought into this beautiful city that God has made, we will behold him with our eyes face to face because of Jesus Well, let's take that one step further because that has meaning to us today, doesn't it? Where is our temple today? Bill's got it, but he was an elder, so we don't count him. Where's the temple today? Look around, right? Paul calls us the temple of God twice in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter three, he says, don't you know that all y'all are the temple of the Holy Spirit? The temple of the living God in Ephesians chapter three, he says, God is building us up to be a temple for him. And and first and Corinthians chapter six, he's talking about holiness. And he says, don't you know that you individually are the temple of the living God, that the Holy Spirit dwells in you, How amazing is that? The presence of God is in you now. The power of God is in you now. You don't have to go 50 miles down the road to the temple, make a sacrifice at an altar, hoping that God will hear your prayers. You get on your knees at home, and God's there. He's there. Everything that Revelation has to say is applicable to you today. That rhymed. That was amazing. Nothing unclean or shameful will enter, and we've covered that with... Some things, but then there is this image: there is no sun, there is no moon, there is no night. That's taken from um, that was, or that's uh, foretold by Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet. And um, maybe I put it up. Double check. Nope, I didn't. Sorry, Isaiah chapter sixty, verse nineteen: There shall be no more or the sun shall be no more, your light by day, nor brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light, your God will be your glory, your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Your people shall be righteous, and they shall possess the land forever, the branch of my hand, the work of my hand, that I, that I, because remember it's all about God, that I might be glorified. There is no more night. There is no more sun or stars because the light of life, isn't that what John says? Jesus entered the world and the light was the life of men and the light shines in the darkness and what can the darkness do against it? Nothing. The darkness cannot snuff it out. This light that extends is is showing the power and grace of God. It's showing the the revelation of Jesus Christ that light is filling the city. But I also want to say that that today you have light in your life. Now we don't have, we still have a sun and moon and stars and we don't see Jesus as we will in that day. But if Jesus is the light of the world, if he's the one that brought enlightenment to all people, if John says again and again in that gospel, uh, repeating what Jesus told him, that if you keep my commands, you will love me, where is the light in this room even now? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. What comes next? A light unto my path. That God hasn't left us without light, without revelation. He has given it to you. And each one of you have several copies that you can go home and you can fill out and read and, and, and just be in communion with God. Because as we read from uh, uh, Micah and as we read uh, from Isaiah, it's the, from Jerusalem that the law of God is going to spread out so that there is no more corruption in government, so that there is no more wars and rumors of war, so there's no more any of these things because everybody is coming to God to learn his ways. But right now, church, we are the ones who know his ways. Have you memorized his ways? Have you learned his ways? Are his ways a light unto your feet and guiding you on the path? Are his ways written upon your heart? Are they in your soul so that everything you do is a reflection of the light and glory of God? It's everything we read in Revelation is applicable today to you and to your life. As we wrap up um, our service this morning and stand and sing this song, I just want us to consider and just stand in awe of the glory of God and give him all of our worship and all of our life and to think hard about the ways in which he has transformed us and made us new so that we can be even now a living representation of the kingdom that's to come because then when people see that you are not afraid of tomorrow, you can say, listen, I know a kingdom that that we will go to where there's never any fear at all. When people see you rejecting detestable things, you can say, there's a kingdom I know that we are going to where there's nothing detestable or false anymore. When people see that you bow down and pray and and prayer and worship is just a living, breathing part of your life, you can say, I know that there is no more temple because the temple of the living God is you if you give your life to Jesus. When people see you living your life in a way that is in accordance with the words and teachings of Jesus, you can say, I know the way because there's a light on the path and I can show you how to follow it and I can show you where that path ends because church, we are to be a living representation of the kingdom of God. Let's sing and give glory to God today for that great.